Hello, Sabre fans, and thank you for joining me for another late-night edition of the Sabre Talk podcast. This is Mark Geis, your host, and I am here to talk to you about a victory, about a road victory. The Sabres continue to own the Sharks as they have really throughout most of my lifetime, throughout most of my time following the Sabres. Uh, but they were able to pull off a, a 3-1 to victory and just a, just a really nice road game. They... That's exactly how you want to play it. They they kept the game to the outside, really didn't give the Sharks many premium chances. As a result of that style, the Sabres also didn't have many great chances themselves, but that's exactly the type of game that you want and need to play when you face a hot team on the road without arguably your most important offensive player and with your backup goaltender in net. So I thought they played this perfectly. They didn't have a... They didn't have a tremendous first period, uh, but they they still kept the game to the outside throughout the first uh, and then turned it on, I thought, throughout the second and third and did exactly what they what they had to do to come out with the win. So I have absolutely no complaints about that road game against a, against a good team that was playing pretty well coming into this game. Chad Johnson, he did exactly what he needed to do to get the win. There weren't a ton of tough saves in this one as a result of the style the Sabres were playing, but he did exactly what you what you want your backup to do, what you need your backup to do. Um, this very well could be his last game as a Sabre, and if it is, it's a it's a good way for him to go out. But I'll talk more about the the trade deadline later on and what we can expect with him and some of the other names that are floating around. Once again, I thought, and I've said this many times on recent podcasts, but. The Felino Larson Gianta line was fantastic, and I especially liked Larson tonight. He was driving hard to the net consistently throughout the game, and ended up being rewarded for it with a goal. And you could see on that play, it was representative of how how he's been going to the net and how he hasn't let anything get in his way, and he's not afraid to go to those hard areas. And I think he's been the real catalyst on that line, on what's become a great third line. A very very good third line, and you know people may not remember. I'm sure most do, but how much Gianta was harped on, and I think part of a huge part of it, probably the biggest part of it, was that he was playing at a top six role that obviously he wasn't fit for. He's not that type of player anymore. Um, but he did not look like he was fitting in at all, and I I never went as far to say that he wasn't an NHL player anymore, but I was having my concerns, and in this league, guys can fall off so quickly, but he's found a great niche on that line, and I think he's fed off Larson. And Felino, his his issues were different. They've had to do much more with inconsistency, uh, not just in production, but in effort as well, and just didn't seem to be mentally there all the time. But he's been much more consistent as of late, and I'm not talking about in terms of offensive production, but just in terms of, of making an impact and being noticeable game in and game out. But I think Larson is really the straw that stirs that drink on that line. So great to see them have another game, uh, another great game and to get a goal. to Because that's been, if there's one weakness they've had, it's been that they, they haven't been able to produce a lot of goals. But for them to come out with one was great. Uh, I thought... Jack Eichel struggled once again, and he at least had a better day at the dot tonight, but he also continued to struggle with the tight defensive attention from the Sharks, 
had his pocket picked a few times, just was hesitating a little bit. And, and in this league, you can't do that, especially when you're the number one focus of the other teams of the other team's defense, and they're putting their top defensive line, their their best center against you. They're putting, I don't know if you'd say Couture is their top center, but he he's a fantastic center, and for him to be keying in on Eichel the entire game, obviously it's going to make it that much tougher for, for Eichel to be able to do anything offensively. And I think the way we've got to look at this is it is a very good learning experience for him to have this kind of pressure right away. And he had a, a lot of the year where, yeah, there was some pressure on him, but a lot of that was alleviated with O'Reilly being around. But I wouldn't be surprised to see these struggles continue with, with O'Reilly out. And I think trying to look at it in a, in a positive way that hopefully this, this helps him out in the long run and he sees really how difficult this league is. I know he knows how, how difficult this this league is, but when you're a star, the type of attention you're going to have game in and game out, and that's what he's going to face throughout the rest of his career because you can the immense talent he has, you know he's going to be he's going to be a top flight player in this league. Um, I liked Evander Kane a lot tonight as well. I thought he he had one noticeable poor play where people that don't like Kane would point to this as evidence of him being selfish or whatever agenda they want to whatever they want to generalize him as being, but where he didn't pass to an open Justin Bailey who was trailing behind him and instead he took a shot that went wide, had a hard opposite rebound that that creamed out and. I mean, that was a poor play, but I thought that was the only poor play that stuck out in my mind throughout this game. I thought beyond that, he was he was tough on the forecheck, played the type of game we've come to expect from him, and I thought he was the best player on that line. He ended up getting a goal to cap off the night, which, much like Larson, even if he hadn't had the goal, still would have thought the same way, but it was nice to see him get rewarded for... Just a just a very solid game, I thought, and he was a big reason why they were able to muck up the neutral zone and make the Sharks uncomfortable breaking out. The forecheck that he brings is just extremely valuable. Uh, I thought McGinn, so not surprisingly, that, that Eichel line, I thought, struggled, specifically McGinn and Eichel, uh, but the puck died on his stick quite a few times, just didn't make an impact. It's very similar to last game, and I probably sound like a broken record. But he, you need him to make an impact in the offensive zone because he's not going to be making it in the defensive zone, and he needs to he needs to be able to, to move the puck and, and be a part of a of a top six line. And I just don't think that that he was able to do that tonight, and he wasn't able to last game either. And I'll also talk about him when I talk about the trade deadline later on. Coming to the defense, I really liked McCabe and Bogosian tonight, and McCabe, uh, McCabe continues to to learn when to pick his spots. I thought he played very confident tonight, and he has been playing very confidently overall uh, recently. Bogosian also, he's been much better with the puck and with his defensive zone coverage recently, and I'm not sure... I'm not sure if the offensive production is coming as a result of him being more comfortable with the puck or him scoring and getting a couple assists, if that maybe made him more comfortable with the puck. I'm not sure chicken chicken or the egg type of thing. And I think 
whichever came first, they've both resulted in his defensive zone coverage being much better. I think he's he isn't running around as much. He's being more solid and steady in the defensive zone. And maybe maybe he's trying to overcompensate for not producing offensively by running around and looking for the big hit or you know trying to make a big play in the defensive zone. But when he does that, it, it hurts him, and he gets taken way out of position. So he needs to be solid and steady in, his, in, his, in the defensive zone, continue to get his shot through on net, and that's what he's been doing for the most part recently. So he, he had another multi-point night tonight, and he's got three goals and two assists in his last three games. And he only has 14 points on the year, so to have five points within a three-game three, three span is, is pretty great for him. So hopefully that pairing can, can keep it up. I've been critical of them a lot. I, I haven't loved them together for a lot of the year, but tonight they, they made me eat crow, and hopefully they continue to make me eat crow because it would be nice to see them build some chemistry here together down the stretch. Um, I think Mark Pesic's being wasted playing on the third pairing. I'd said that last game or something similar uh, in my last podcast, but he only played 14 minutes tonight next to Carlo Koliakovo, who I thought had another subpar game, just doesn't look sure of himself with the puck, and it's it's tough. Uh, I think Pesic can help make up for that a lot, but but I, you know, in a game where breakout is so important now, and Koliakovo doesn't bring a whole lot else to the table, it's not like he's going to be overly physical or he's a great skater or he's bringing a booming shot from the point or anything so when he's not able to move the puck well it can really hurt can really hurt a pairing but Pesic I thought he played he played well in his 14 minutes and I think the I think the place for him in the lineup I'd really like to see him next to wrist and I've said that quite a few times on this on this podcast but move him over to the left side and play him next to wrist because I still haven't loved George's in that role, I think he's playing above his head up there. And so when Cody Franzen comes back, I would really like to see Georges on the third pairing next to Franzen. I think if Georges and Franzen are both here next year, I think they make sense as the third pairing. And let Pesic and Ristolainen have a run together for, for a few games here. So I'd like to see it. I don't know if it's going to happen. And I don't know who they're going to move over to the left side when, when Franzen comes back. You have to think Koliakovo comes out. So one of those righties is going to have to move over to the left. and But I wouldn't want to move Bogosian back over to the left now with McCabe and Bogosian playing well together. Ristolainen, obviously, you're not going to move him over to the left. Franson, I don't think you want him playing up high in the lineup anyways. I think you want to keep him on the right side on that third pairing. So Pesic makes sense, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Um, so I promised I would talk some about the trade deadline. And I'll still have one more podcast before the trade deadline, after the, the Kings game tomorrow night. But I still sh- I should talk sh- talk a bit about some of the deals that have already gone gone down and what the Sabres' position looks like headed into, the, headed into the deadline and if any of these trades have changed expected value for any of the Sabres' pieces. So the biggest deal so far was Andrew Ladd to the Black Blackhawks for a package, with the most, most important pieces being Marco, Dano, and... Uh, Chicago's 2016 first rounder. And I, I liked this deal a lot for both sides. I think Ladd is a great addition for the stretch run. Gives them another proven forward. They can really lean on in the playoffs, which is important, especially when they've got 
some young guys throughout their lineup because of all the money they have committed to their big guns, to Taves and Kane and Crawford and Keith and Seabrook. They've got some young guys throughout their lineup, which they have to do. They have to have cheap pieces. They can't have veterans all throughout that lineup. So to get another forward like him that you can lean on is is very important. And I thought the Jets came out well in this deal, too. So they had another first-rounder for this year. They had two last year. They drafted pretty well in recent years, and they're building a good young core there. And because of their monetary situation, they're not going to be spending up to the cap. They need to continue to have an influx of, of young talent, young, cheaper talent coming through, and especially when you're in a place like like Winnipeg. I like Winnipeg a lot, and... But, but I also understand at the same time that it's it's not a haven for, for people to come to, and especially if you don't have a rich owner. But Buffalo now, having Pagula, is able to overcome some of that because of all the money that Pagula has. But because Winnipeg won't be spending up to the cap, it's harder to attract free agents to come there. Uh, they were able to retain Dustin Buffalo on what I thought was a pretty team-friendly deal. But that's not going to happen with with everybody, and it's not... It's an unfortunate reality that, that some cities are going to have a tougher time attracting free agents unless they have a, a lot of money at their disposal, and, and Winnipeg really doesn't. So th- they need to continue to draft well, have an influx of, of young, cheaper, team-controlled talent coming through. So picks are, are extremely important. And and Dano I like. I think he came up and he had last year, I believe it was 21 points in like 39 games, something like that, with Columbus. And then he was moved in the Brandon Saad deal to Chicago, and now he's being moved to the Jets. But I think he's going to be a solid top nine option. I don't think he's going to be a set the world on fire top six top six forward by by any means. But I think he's going to be a good top nine option, a good depth guy, a good a good kind of puzzle piece in the lineup. So to to come up with two pieces like that, I thought was was a good deal for them. And they gave up Ladd and a couple. Uh, smaller pieces, but really Dano and the first and ladder are the main the main parts of this deal, the parts that really matter. Um, Chicago also today they moved a 2018 second rounder and uh, Philip Deneau to the Canadians for Dale Weiss and Thomas Fleischman. Sorry, Tomas Fleischman. Um, I always want to say that Thomas um I actually thought Weiss was going to be able to return a 2017 second rounder, at least. But the Canadians may have placed some value on Deneau and maybe more value than than I I would have. I don't think he's going to be any more than a third-line guy at best throughout his career. And I'm not sure if he's going to even if he's going to even be that. But they may be higher on him than I am. They may think he's a sure surefire third-liner long-term. Uh, I thought it was another good deal for the Blackhawks. They gave a 2018 second rounder, which is far off in the future, and Deneau is a wild card. He's played for them, but I think it's more because he's cheap, and he's one of those cheap young pieces that you that you need to have in a lineup when you've got all those um, all those very expensive guys at the at the top of your lineup. But I don't think he's he, he's a very replaceable. NHL player, and so it's two two pieces that aren't affecting them this year, and the 2018 second rounder is very far off, and they add more depth, and I think Weiss is another solid 
veteran guy that they can they can lean on a bit in the playoffs, and Fleischman adds depth as well. So they're really going for it, the Blackhawks. They're, they already were probably the favorite. If you were to pull people on who the, who the favorite is right now, the Blackhawks probably would have gotten a plurality of those votes. But now with these deals, they've got to be the favorite. And they may even get a majority of, of, of votes if you were to pull people that follow the NHL closely. They also they had one, one more minor deal, which I liked, and they moved uh, uh, Rob Scuderi for Christian Erhoff, our old friend Christian Erhoff, which I think has to be an upgrade for them. And I don't get if why Scuderi seems to have seems to have this this value to teams when he's he hasn't looked like an NHL defenseman in recent years. And Erhoff has had a poor year, but I think it has to be an upgrade for them. So another good deal for the for the Blackhawks, I thought. And Scuderi now is gonna go to gonna go to LA and maybe fit in as their as their number seven, number six, number seven, something like that. And they're hoping that can be an upgrade, but I, I like that deal more from a from a Chicago standpoint. So, how that affects the the Sabers doesn't. I don't know if any of those prices necessarily directly affect the Sabers, but uh, I really hope Jamie McGinn. He's he's the big piece. He's going to return the most in almost um, almost certainly going to going to return more than any of the other pieces that the Sabres have unless they deal somebody that that nobody's talking about that isn't expected to be moved. Uh, I still expect McGinn's going to get a second rounder. I hope he hasn't hurt his value with a couple poor games in a row, but I would hope a couple games doesn't affect the guy's value that much. And I think if if Nick Spalling and Roman Polak are able to return two second round picks in a deal, McGinn sh- certainly should be able to, to return a second rounder himself. I think he's going to be a nice top top nine guy for a team that needs a little bit more secondary scoring. He's a guy that can fill in in the top six. Uh, for whatever reason, I don't know why I've I've had New Jersey in mind as a fit for him, and I I would think that Murray wants to move him out west. But if you look at all the teams that that are in this playoff race, I think New Jersey would make the most sense. They're not going to want to go all in and, and trade for one of the premier rentals on the market. But I do think at the same time they want to make additions to try to get into the playoffs. And to, you know that that extra revenue can mean a lot. Um, and they're they're right on the cusp there. They're right battling with, with Pittsburgh for, for a spot. So I could see them seeing again maybe trading a 2017 second rounder as worth it to maybe we'll add this guy and he can score some goals for us down the stretch and maybe – put us over that hump just a little tiny bit to get into the playoffs and and to make that extra money, which is important for a lot of teams in this league to, to make that extra revenue. Um, if, if he is moved out west, I could see the avalanche making a lot of sense, him going back there. They're familiar with him. Uh, they could use another, another guy up front, and it'll be interesting. A, a lot of teams could use him. Secondary scoring is a need for everybody, so it's really tough to guess where he'd be and seeing him connected in rumors, which you never know how much stock to really put in with, with a lot of different teams, which makes sense for the type of guy that he is. But I'm just giving my conjecture. If I'm, if I'm right, I'm right. If I'm completely off base, then so be it. It's, it's really speculation. Chad Johnson has been connected to 
San Jose and Dallas. And I think of all the teams out there, San Jose makes the most sense for him. Alex Stalock, he's really struggled this year. He has an 880 save percentage. And they also have a young starter. And they're almost certainly going to make the playoffs. I, there's a 99% chance they're making the playoffs at this point, if not higher, um, because they have something like a 10-point lead on on Arizona behind them. But Johnson makes a lot of sense there. Buffalo, they'd be able to take Staylock back at full cap. They potentially would retain money on him to help San Jose to preserve some cap space. And this would be a pretty relatively cheap way to add a, add goaltender depth to make sure if your goalie does go down that you're not completely screwed. And I think Johnson right now, I originally thought he was going to get a fourth, but... Anders Nielsen was traded to St. Louis for a mid-round pick, and they're saying either a fourth or fifth rounder. But Nielsen completely fell off the face of the earth after what was a good start with with Edmonton. And for him to be able to return a fourth or fifth rounder, Chad Johnson has been much more consistent than Nielsen. He's certainly better than him. And so I think his value very well could be a third at this point in what's a seller's market. So... I'm expecting a third, and maybe it may be optimistic. I always try to be, try to be pessimistic with these deals, which is why I thought something like a fourth or fifth for a while. But with that deal, looks like the precedent is that Johnson may be able to return something, something more than that. And if Mike Weber was able to get a third-round pick, then that's very indicative that this is a this is a seller's market, and some of the other deals that you've seen. So. That'll be interesting to see where he goes, and I would expect when he's traded the Sabres take back a goalie, assuming it makes sense. Something like bringing back Stalock would make sense in the deal to, to be the backup here down the stretch, and they can keep Olmark down in Rochester getting the majority of the starts. Maybe bring him up uh, after, you know, maybe bring him up for a game here and there. I don't know if they if they would do that or not, but... Um, That'll be interesting. I think Johnson and McGinn are going to be the two big stories from a Buffalo point of view, and I put big in air quotes. Leguan, he'll, he'll also be in play. He's anybody's guess. I think he'll be moved. They'll probably have to retain money on him. So they can retain money on two of these three because they've already retained on, on Mike Weber. And I don't know, probably Leguan makes a lot of sense to retain on, and probably Chad Johnson as well, but that's anybody's guess as well. And I think Legwan will be able to get a mid-round pick, fourth or fifth round or something like that. I'll, I'll expect a fifth. I think basically any team out there is going to be interested in an experienced depth forward like him, so I'm not even going to really try to hazard a guess at where he'll go and who would be interested in him because it could be any of 15 different teams. Those are the three main pieces in, in play. I've, I've talked about how I, I hope that Murray's out there trying to work the phones about Josh, Josh Georges to see if some team out there is willing to, to take him on. And Cody Franzen, if he wasn't hurt, he could be a possibility to be moved as well. There could be some sort of prospect deal, kind of like the Hudson Fashing deal a couple of years ago that comes out of left field. But um, I think I'm preparing just to see three deals and to see McGinn, Johnson, and Legwand be moved. So 
it'll be it'll be an interesting day. It always is. I like the trade deadline a lot. There've already been some pretty decently big deals leading into it, so it leaves me optimistic that that they're going to be some decent sized deals that go down on deadline day. It's always a always a fun time of year. It'll be even more fun when the Sabers are in a buyer's position rather than a seller's position, which hopefully is in the next uh, next year or two. Uh, next game, Sabers played tomorrow night, Saturday night versus LA at 11 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, Kings they've won three in a row as they've tried to hold off the extremely hot Anaheim Ducks. So the Sabers now will face the three top Pacific teams, the three teams from the Pacific that are going to make the playoffs almost assuredly in a row on the road. Uh, the Kings are their formula really hasn't changed from recent years. They they're at least one of the best defensive teams in hockey, if not the best defensive team in hockey. And they're one of the best goalies in the league. Quick, he's had another another very good year. Enroth is a great backup, as we know. That it's expected that Enroth is going to get the start against the Sabres, and then Quick is going to start against Anaheim on Sunday. So the, the, the Kings turn around and they play the Ducks in Anaheim on Sunday. It looks also like our, like our good friends... Braden McNabb and Jamie McBain are going to also both be in the lineup. So a few ex-Sabers it looks like. And it would be cool if Christian Erhoff still was around with them. For whatever reason, the Kings have that. The Kings have a thing for ex-Sabers defensemen. Uh, they're, like I said, their formula has been very similar. Kopitar is still their horse up front, though Toffoli and... Milan Lucic, everyone's favorite, every Sabres fan's uh, favorite player. They've both fit in, or he's fit in very well, and Toffoli has really taken that next step forward to, to become a top-flight offensive winger. And they're, they're still a big physical team that really relies on Kopitar and Jeff Carter anchoring those top two lines. And basically Lucic coming in, Toffoli having a great year. They've really made up for Marion Gabrick, who is one of their more important players in the last couple years, for him declining, and he hasn't produced. He's looks like he's really, I don't know if falling off the face of the earth is the is the right terminology, but he's definitely not, not what he was. And I mentioned earlier it's about how quickly players can fall off in this league, and it looks like he, he may be an example of that. And you never know if when... You never know if he'll turn it on in the playoffs. And you look at somebody like Vincent LeCavillet, who I thought was done as a really as a decently productive NHL player, but he's coming into LA and fit right in. So I guess it's it's never it's never too late for a lot of these guys. But Gabrick has had a has had a concerning year. So it's another tough road game against a good team against a team that. The Sabers Sabers struggle struggle with that kind of play. At least they have in recent years. But I think if they can, they're going to play right into the Kings' hands, or the Kings are going to play right into the Sabers' hands because that's the type of style the Sabers are trying to play. And when they've been at their most effective this year, it's been when they slow down the game. So I'd expect another low-scoring game, another two-to-one type of game. Leonard's going to be back in net. and the Sabres are coming off a game where they played that style to perfection, but I don't know if anybody plays it better than the than the Kings do. So that, that'll be an interesting game. It's fun to play.
play good teams. I like the like the late games too because I like staying up late. So hopefully I'll have podcast out afterwards, sometime in the middle of the night, or maybe Sunday morning. And I just thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and hopefully appreciate whatever insight I have and whatever my opinions are. So looking forward to talking to you then. Have a fantastic weekend. Thank you.